Are you still stunned like I am that it's 2020? Not just a new year, but a new decade. Uh, what has happened with those last 10 years? I don't know, but uh, I'm grateful for them. New Year's are often uh, moments for us to think about what, of course, is to come, to reflect on what has uh, come to pass, and uh, to have uh, think about good things that might be on the horizon. Uh, for sports fans, I know that uh, the 49ers, you're super excited if you're a Niners fan that they won yesterday, and if they win their next game, they're on to the Super Bowl, and so good times may be here again. Uh, just this week, my sister's son and his wife uh, had their second baby, and uh, uh, we were texting and receiving all sorts of pictures and descriptions of the new child and uh, how great it is uh, to welcome good news, right? We love good news, and we love to share good news and to pass it on with others. Uh, my, my sister, I can't believe it, is now grandmother four times over. Do I look that old? Maybe with this, I'm looking a little older, but uh, uh, the good news is something that for people of all times, they have welcomed and look forward to. In ancient times, there was a special word used to describe the sharing of good news, and it's a word we know in our Bibles called gospel, and uh, it's the word uh, both in the Old Testament and in Greek literature, euangelion, is commonly used for reports coming from the battlefield. You know, back in ancient battles, when uh, you, if you were a villager and you were not in the battle and the army would be out fighting the battle, you didn't have uh, text messages or ticker tapes or uh, emails or any other way to make communication. When the battle was decided, a messenger would be dispatched carrying news and a report of what had happened. And as a villager, when you saw the feet of that messenger... If he brought good news, how beautiful were those feet, right? Uh, the Bible uses such imagery. In 1 Samuel, when the Philistines had defeated King Saul, they send messengers throughout the region sharing the good news, the gospel of what had happened. In Greek armies, when they went out and uh, they had secured victory, they would herald good news in the same way. Here in this church, uh, since December 1st, all the way through last Sunday, January 5th, we've been focused on Christmas. It's been a great season. It is every year to focus on the arrival of Jesus into the world because we know biblically, we know theologically that the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of ancient promises made by God. The angels told us as much when, when they arrived to announce to the shepherds, you remember what their announcement was? We come with good news of great joy. But Christmas is over, so now what? Now what? Behind us is our Christmas remembrances, ahead of us is a new year and a new decade has become, begun. Jesus' own message about why he came could fit into a, tw a modern day Twitter post. For he says that the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That's where we're going to focus our time on this second Sunday of our new year. If you have your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 1, the gospel of Mark, the good news of Mark chapter 1. And let me tell you a little bit about the background of where we dive in today. 
Because Mark's book begins by stating that he was sharing in the very first verse, he's, he's telling us that he is sharing about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Son of God. And then he goes and his first description is of John the Baptist. And we know John the Baptist is one like Elijah who is to come and to be a forerunner of the Messiah. He comes to prepare a way because God is doing a new work in the world. And God had said that He would send out a messenger ahead of this final worker and He would prepare the hearts of the people and He would go out to get things ready for them. And that's the role that John the Baptist played. John the Baptist was uh, filled the role of a prophet you know, for a long, long time, generations now since the close of the Old Testament. Uh, Jewish people in Palestine had wondered, is God ever going to speak again like He did through the prophets And there had been silence from heaven. And then John the Baptist emerges on the scene, bursts onto the scene, and he's described with his interesting clothing. And we're to thank Old Testament prophet, the the food that he eats. We're to thank Old Testament prophet, the, the, the passion of the message that he had. And he preached a baptism of repentance, a turning away from our old self-centered life in order to live a life focused in God. There was a passion about his ministry and his message. And we're to thank uh, Old Testament prophet. He is the one who came before Jesus. Then Mark tells us about Jesus' baptism. The early church always looked back to the baptism of Jesus to be the, the mark the starting point of Jesus' ministry on earth. And, and so he shares about uh, the start of his public ministry. And then John the Baptist is taken away. Mark, if you've ever read Mark before, you know that it's a, it's a quick gospel. You're, you're in one moment and then whew, you pivot and you're somewhere else. And, and he goes forward. Most scholars think Mark was the original gospel uh, to capture the, the life of Jesus. And really through Mark's pen, it's the reflections of Peter, we think, written uh, in the city of Rome, likely probably around the time of Nero's persecution, Emperor Nero, when he was uh, giving Christians a really hard time. This gospel is given, this good news in the midst of all of the bad things happening for the Christians in Rome, this message now is rolled out. And we find in verse 14 of chapter 1, I want to read it again. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That would be a pretty good Twitter post, don't you think? Pretty good summation of what Jesus understood His coming to be. And isn't it interesting that John the Baptist is portrayed the way uh, Luke tells us in his Gospel and the, the contrasting of John the Baptist and Jesus. And John the Baptist is being set up by the Gospel writer Luke as this great forerunner. And we see not just in going ahead of Jesus and preparing the hearts of the people and preaching a similar message, But also we find that when he's arrested and taken away, that he would also be executed. And he's a forerunner of sometimes the implication of the gospel. But when Jesus, his first words, according to Mark, is that the time has come. The time has come. How many of you younger lives today remember just a few weeks ago on Christmas Eve, going to bed, waking up Christmas morning, 
really excited. How many of you older children today can reflect back in your mind's eye many years prior, waiting on Christmas Eve, waking up Christmas morning, and being able to put your feet on the floor and jumping up with vigor and say, the time has come, right? That's always a great joy in my childhood and in our home now because gifts are going to be opened and joy is going to be shared. And that's a lot of what Jesus was saying. The time that we've now been waiting for, all of the crummy months of January, February, March, all the way till December, we have to put up with all of those months. And now Christmas Day has come. Jesus says the time has come. The New Living Translation says it this way, the time promised by God has come at last. The, the Greek word used there is an interesting word. It's, it's kairos in Greek. You've got two words used for time. You've got chronos, which is the way of marking time by the sundial or your watch. That's the regularity of time, minute after minute, hour after hour, and so forth. But then there's a different word called chronos. And it's a word that describes a more particular, a special moment that's happening. It's kind of like describing something that just was a historical event, right? I got up and brushed my teeth this morning. That was a historical event, but it wasn't necessarily an historic event. You know what I mean? There's a big difference. The 49ers winning their game yesterday, that was a historic event. Kairos is a way of expressing a more historic event. Moment, Something special was happening. This is the way the Greeks conceived of the idea of kairos. It was represented by a person who, on the back of his head, he was bald, no hair there. But on the front of his hair was a huge, long tuft of hair, long ponytail. Can you picture it in your mind's eye? A big ponytail right down in front of his face. And the idea was when kairos arrived in your life, and when you're face to face with Kairos, you better grab a hold of him when he's there in front of you. Because once he passes by, there's nothing to hold on to, right? The moment is gone. So Jesus uses this term that the time has come. The time has come. Mark's readers, whoop, their ears would have been perked up. I hope yours are too. Because he goes on to tell us about what this time is and why it's meaningful. He says that the kingdom has come near. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God understood in the Bible is the reign of God and it was early in the scriptures manifested itself in God's work with the Israelite people in setting them free out of captivity to be with God. And we see it at, at Mount Sinai when they're given the Ten Commandments. And, and we have to think about the Ten Commandments, not just a list of ten things I should do with my life, but, but they're, they're a way of organizing their, the people's life with God. And that, that was the way, the, the idea of God's reign in their life, God's uh, central presence in their life was explained in the Scripture. But the kingdom of God, biblically, was always something that would supremely manifest itself when the Messiah showed up. When the Messiah came, the special one of God, to set things right again. It's almost like when you leave this building and walk out these doors, a good builder will set a door frame at right angles. Right? You don't want a, a door frame that's crooked and bent. Right? You want a vertical frame that's straight up and down. You want a horizontal frame that's straight side to side, right? You don't want any wonkiness 
Because the door won't sit right and it might just fall down on your head. The Bible describes our lives as being out of rightness. They, they are not true in the way they should be. Sin has impacted all of us. And the Messiah, Jesus, has come to make the things right. That to make our lives fit rightly with God and then rightly with one another. So the Messiah has come. Jesus, when he says, this is the Kairos moment, this is the moment, the time has come. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. Now, when Jesus says the kingdom is near, he's not talking about the clock anymore. He's not talking about your your number of daily is almost up. Right? He's talking about not nearness in the sense of time. He's talking about nearness spatially. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near you. You ever notice how Jesus prays? Now, if you pray like I do, and it's a great way to pray, I was taught to fold my hands and bow my head and close my eyes, and it's great. And, and, and bowing our head is a posture of humility before the Lord, and closing our, our folding our hands and our eyes, I think, is a way of helping the children to really focus and not, not be distracted, right? And that's a great thing. But if you ever notice the way Jesus often prays, like when he feeds the 5,000, you know what he does? He'll take the, the, the bread and the fish in his hands, and the Bible describes it this way. It says he looks to heaven, and he prays. And I think it's a picture of understanding the closeness of the kingdom. That it's not some far off, some long from now moment. That the kingdom of God is right here, right now. Where the king is, where Jesus is, we find the kingdom of God. And so as we enter into the kingdom of God, we learn to live our lives there. We learn to function in God's kingdom, not just the world that we were born into, but we enter into the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God now impacts every part of your life. I'll ask you, what part of your life should God's kingdom not touch? Is there a part of your life that you do not allow God's kingdom have priority over. Because the life of a disciple, the one who follows Jesus, the one who's entered into the kingdom of God, learns to let that kingdom impact and influence every part of his or her life. In Romans chapter 1, we hear more about this good news gospel. Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. Isn't that good news? <clears throat> Isn't that good news? Yes. 
Do you believe, sister and brother, that that is good news today? God loved you so much that He came for you. He came for you because He loves you. There's no other reason. And He wants to be with you because He loves you. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. You know, the kingdom of God has an entry point. The kingdom of God is not something we're just kind of generically just discover one day. We're in. It has an entry point and Jesus is the doorway. Remember the Garden of Eden? Remember at the end of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were expelled out of it because of the consequence of sin? Remember the door of the Garden of Eden was slammed shut and and an angel was there with a flaming sword to guard entrance back into that picture of what it is to be with God. And now Jesus comes. The Scripture in John 1 tells us that Jesus has come to, to make His tabernacle with us. God has come to take up residence to be the point where heaven and earth meet so that when we come to Jesus, we know that we are relating to God. And so the door is open. The, God, the kingdom of God has a, an entry point. And it is Jesus is the doorway. So how do we enter into it? Well, Jesus tells us it's through repentance and belief. We are to repent and believe. Repenting is to turning, turn from, and to believe is to turn toward. It's the repentance is the old idea that I once lived my life with me as the center. I had no real concern or care about God. And so I was living my life this way, doing what pleased me. Doing whatever I thought would bring me happiness and me satisfaction, and so any appetite I have, I feed. But in repentance, I turn and leave that behind so that I can live a life centered on God. I can live a life where God becomes my nourishment, where God becomes my satisfaction. We sung about it today. Where God becomes the food I feast on and becomes my sufficiency in all of my life. And so I turn from that and I turn toward God. That is repentance and believing. I repent, I leave behind. To believe is to lean into. And so this morning, I can think of no better way to reflect on repentance and belief and rejoicing that God loved me so much that He would come into the world and He would set a time and He would fulfill His timetable And He would step into time and space here and come and welcome me into His kingdom through repentance and belief because of what He's done. So we repent from our sin and we turn to the cross of Jesus. It's in the cross where Jesus died that we see and receive the forgiveness of God. Jesus died the death you and I should have died because of our sin. And when we receive Jesus and we repent from our sin and we believe in His death and in His resurrection over death, then that is how we enter into the kingdom of God. And the rest of our life then is learning to live, live with the kingdom speaking into every relationship, every responsibility, every work calling, Everything you do and become is touched and influenced and informed by the presence of Jesus in you. We talk in this church 
about Jesus, about our discipleship being a very simple description. To follow Jesus means this. It's to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Sisters and brothers, that is life in the kingdom of God. That is what repentance and belief is all about and leads us into. It's the joy of walking with Him. And so, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, we come with hearts, I hope, filled with joy and gratitude. If you're here this morning and you've never repented, turned away from your self-centered life out of the sin that is part of your life, because it's been part of mine too, it's all of our story, But we're invited to turn from it and to turn in trusting Jesus and what He's done on the cross and accepting His death in place of mine so that His forever life can now be mine. Isn't that good news? That is the gospel. That's why it's good news. It is so good. Deacons, if you're helping, would you come and sit up here on the front pew? This morning, if, if you have never repented of your sin and believed in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, I want to encourage you, would you let me know that sometime this week? In your bulletin, you have uh, an information there, phone numbers, and email addresses. Come on, Jay. Um, and uh, we'd be so happy to, to have you begin a conversation with me, or maybe you've been part of a Bible study here, or a small group, and you'd like to begin to talk about that with your uh, with your small group leader, that would be a wonderful conversation to begin to have. But today, perhaps you have, maybe for a lot of years, you've walked with the Lord. This table, when we gather around it, every time is an opportunity to rejoice again in the love of God the Father expressed in the work of Jesus the Son. I have great love for you. It is so good. It is so good to share. We we have symbols here of bread and cup. Symbols that remind us of a broken, the broken body of Jesus on the cross. We're reminded of the shed blood that he gave for the forgiveness of sin. May we rejoice in this. Today, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're welcome to be part of this meal today. If you're not sure about that, I, I would caution you to, to just let the plates pass by. And it's okay to, to not do it. Nobody's watching. Uh, but we want this to be an expression of a genuine walk and relationship with the Lord today. We're going to sing throughout our time together, as we often do, some verses to a song that really express in music and in verse the gospel message that I've tried to give voice to today. So we're going to begin the first person.
Jesus was betrayed, bread was taken, it was broken. And it was shared around that table as a reminder of what Jesus, for them, about to do, and for us, what he has done, his ultimate death on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to die, your willingness to come into the world, your willingness to substitute yourself for us so that our sin, my sin, can be dealt with. There is no other way. There is no other way the Bible gives to us for us to be saved, for us to know you fully and completely, and for us to deeply hold the promise of life after this life. So with joy and gratitude, we thank you. Help us to live our lives in your kingdom every hour of every day. In Jesus' name.